0: Welcome ravenous readers and culture consumers to Bohemian Geek Studies.
1: The place where nerdy knights gather together to trade tall tales of single combat and romantic intrigue. I mean, share our insatiable thirst for intellectual discussions about our favorite books, shows, and movies.
0: Last time, we began exploring how to identify the rot from within the Wormwood household in Chapter 2 of Matilda, entitled Mr. Wormwood, the Great Car Dealer. When we last left our young heroine, the Wormwoods were eating dinner around the television, tuning each other out by tuning into an American soap opera playing on screen. Importantly, Mr. Wormwood soundly denied Matilda's request to read her book during dinner time. Silently seething, we see Matilda beginning to plot her revenge as she starts creating an Arya Stark-worthy list of names of her enemies. First on her list is definitely her father.
1: Yeah, he, I think I think her list at the beginning is basically her father a half dozen times. <laughs> and this episode, we continue our examination of how the Wormwood family unit dysfunctionally functions as we watch Matilda, perhaps for the first time, begin to fight back. Absolutely. Uh, with that roadmap in mind, can you give us a short recap on chapter three, which is entitled The Hat and the Super Glue, before we dive any deeper into the text?
0: With pleasure. So we begin the morning after the last chapter leads off, um, well, leaves off, with Matilda waking up ready to strike back at her father for denying her access to books during dinner time. And we have to ask, how does she strike back? Well, with a little light dose of innocent chemical warfare
1: super innocent. Yeah, her <laughs> first act of revenge is to use an industrial strength bonding agent to glue a hat to her father's head. For a first act, that's pretty high that's pretty high up there. You don't cross somebody like that. You just don't.
0: Absolutely. Now, Matilda knows that her father is somewhat of a vain man. He's particularly fond of how he looks in that flat-topped pork pie hat. Say that 5 times fast. And that hat itself is topped off with a jay's feather that we'll be talking about later in this episode. Because Matilda knows her father Harry is vain about his appearance, particularly in this hat, she squeezes superglue into it in hopes that it would stick on his head. And boy, oh boy, does that trick ever work and does his head ever get stuck. That glue is so powerful that Harry ends up living an entire day in his hat while becoming increasingly convinced that his daughter is the culprit despite her feigned innocence and ceaseless verbal goading of her father.
1: Yeah, and it's it, it is constant, so constant that you wonder how it is that he doesn't pick up on it. But it, it yeah, it's more than an entire day, his suffering continues into the night and on to the next morning when Mrs. Wormwood, obviously frustrated by her husband's silly appearance, cuts it off leaving Harry with no hat, a heavily bruised ego, and a very very awful haircut. The absolute worst. The worst. <laughs> Uh, This chapter closes with Matilda seemingly hoping that her father has learned a lesson. Uh, However, the reader is left suspecting uh, that such hopes, if actually genuine, and that's a really interesting thing to think about, may be futile, at least when it comes to how Harry Wormwood continually mistreats Matilda.
0: And with that short recap, the theme for today's chapter is the errors of the ego. With the stage set, let's dive into the sticky, icky, ooey-gooey text in details. Will, take us away.
1: At the onset of Chapter 3, we see Matilda wake up and, with the morning dawn, go straight to war. Absolutely. Like the best generals, she attacks at dawn while her foe is unaware, and she attacks coming out of this, the rising sun, and we have to wonder if she got herself a translation of The Art of War. Thank you very much, Mrs. Phelps.
0: And thank you, Will, for that apt uh, call-out. And, Will, if I may interrupt you for what we're now calling a brief vocab moment a.k.a. A Bohemian Geek Studies detailed dorky dive into a vocabulary word, the name of which was inspired by listeners Nikki and Bo, so thanks to Nikki and Bo for that. The reason why you use the word onset instead of outset at the onset of this chapter is that because while both the words onset and outset refer to the beginning of something, onset implies something unpleasant or negative, whereas outset does not.
1: Yep, we're launching into something some serious serious negative business here.
0: Absolutely. And because of that, and because the wormwood household is so pretty darn frickin' unpleasant, that's why we should settle on the word onset with a special shout out to Connie for flagging this better word choice for us to use at the outset of our
1: deep dive. Yep. No negativity from our part. And heading back into the text, it it almost seems and it wouldn't surprise me if Matilda was up at least part of the night between chapters two and three plotting and scheming her sweet revenge, because like we've said, the first thing that she does is she wakes up, jumps to action, and gets goes and gets her father's hat and applies super glue into it so that it'll soon be stuck to his head.
0: And for some of our older listeners, maybe or frankly anyone who's tuned to pop culture, Matilda's pretty MacGyver about it, using a walking stick to precisely remove and replace the hat so that this incredibly adhesive glue would stick on absolutely nothing but her father's head. So, I mean, think about it like this. She is intentionally timing her operation to ensure the glue would be sticky by the time Harry was done with breakfast.
1: Yeah, we know that Harry has these elaborate breakfasts, but it still must take some some plotting from her part. She's probably got, you know, a time window that she sneaks in there and does a little, you know, Mission Impossible type stuff with a hat and, and sneaks back out. And and going back to what you, to your point about the, the stick, uh, what I love about this is that Ro- Roald Dahl makes it clear that they really shouldn't underestimate Matilda because... Because of her height.
0: Absolutely. And that aptly circles us back to the theme Matilda's sense of self esteem and her abilities. In other words, her ego makes her believe that she has the power to go toe to toe with her father. Um, and her father's over-inflated sense of ego.
1: Yep, absolutely. And that belief in her own, her own abilities is really uh, something that'll strike our, our young readers and old readers alike, I think. But so let, let's take a quick look at what the text says there, because I think it's worth it. The following morning, just before the father left for his beastly secondhand car garage. Matilda slipped into the cloakroom and got hold of the hat he wore each day to work. She had to stand on her toes and reached up as high as she could with a walking stick in order to hook the hat off the peg, and even then she only just made it. The hat itself with the hat itself, was one of those flat-topped pork pie jobs with a jay's feather stuck in the hatband, and Mr. Wormwood was very proud of it. He thought it gave him a rakish, daring look, especially when he wore it at an angle, with his loud checked jacket and green tie. Matilda, holding the hat in one hand and a thin tube of super glue in the other, proceeded to squeeze a line of glue very neatly all around the inside rim of the hat. Then she carefully hooked the hat back on the peg with a walking stick. She timed this operation very carefully, applying the glue just as her father was getting up from the breakfast table.
0: Thank you, Will. And you can hear how Mr. Wormwood's ego blinds him and prevents him from noticing anything's amiss until he tries to take off his hat at work. Drawing a comparison to Harry Potter, this reminds me of how in Sorcerer's Stone, Professor Snape ignores Hermione in class. You see this um, very, very early on beginning in the first book, but it frankly continues throughout the entire series.
1: Yeah, throughout the whole series.
0: And it's arguably showing... Hermione, how she will go on being unnoticed by Professor Snape and using that lack of ability or lack of willingness to see her and her talents as a means to ensure that she doesn't get caught. And here we see Matilda using that same kind of Hermione-esque rationale from from that same kind of harmful learning that if you ignore me I can do something malicious or something bad I can put super glue on your head Mm -hmm. I can set you on fire so if you treat the student wrongly the student may become too clever Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. lash out and because of their intelligence not get caught the adult figure's ego whether that Aptly applies to Snape or not, is a little bit too far afield for this podcast. Yep. But the adult figure's ego can hinder the lesson, and the student's ego may turn may turn against their teacher and towards the dark side, based on the lessons that they're learning from their teachers. When teachers ignore them, and when teachers support them.
1: Yeah, the the Snape comparison is pretty good, and. I think maybe we can talk about whether it applies more with Snape or Mr. Wormwood, but certainly their prejudice factors into how they treat on one hand Matilda and the other hand Hermione. And to your point, it was really interesting is that then it in turn, it affects how the student reacts uh, as well. Uh, but with reg- at least with regards to hats being stuck to heads or robes being set on fire, these teachers do it at their own risk.
0: Absolutely, just like in real life. These characters' actions and um, reactions from those actions have ramifications that reverberate throughout the entire text Mm -hmm. or series, depending on which story you're enjoying.
1: Yeah, certainly. Now, as much as we like saving our deep dive of an element of the book for the end of the episode, we're going to shake things up a little bit today uh, by critically analyzing the potential significance of this one particular hat stuck to this guy's head, that flat-topped pork pie hat. Man, we're going to have trouble with that one. So (laughs) hard. Adorned with a jay's feather, and this seemingly benign description We believe that Ronnie D. uses this vehicle to express the qualities and personality of Mr. Wormwood and highlights why today's theme is the errors of the ego. Now, as for the hat itself, I'm not going to say the whole thing again. (laughs) It's a pork pie hat. It does look like a pork pie. Um, if you've ever eaten a pork pie or seen one, you'll, you'll know what this is. But I suggest you look it up. And I also just suggest you have one if you're, uh, if you're so inclined. If you haven't, they're delicious. And as for the jay's feather stuck in the hat, I think Doll might have had the term Poppin' jay in mind, which is a word that means a vain or conceited person, especially one who dresses or behaves extravagantly.
0: And that certainly applies to Harry Wormwood. And while we cannot be entirely sure which kind of J Ronnie D was referring to, with the help of my wonderful birdwatching father-in-law, Bernie, I think he and I, and now all of us, are able to come very close, if not precisely right, to identifying the bird in question. So let's break down our clues. First, All we have is J, J J-A-Y. Right. Here, RD likely means the European J. According to my father-in-law's bird watching book, there is a particular J from Europe and elsewhere. And these birds are highly intelligent, impish, usually seen in groups, inquisitive, silly, and ding, ding, ding. They can be bullies Mm -hmm. now in the book we don't have any indication of the feathers coloring i think but don't quote me on this for when we look at the movie but i'd be surprised if a feathered hat isn't also featured in the movie Mm -hmm. but we haven't cross-referenced what that feather looks like to what we absolutely know in the canonical book text
1: definitely something to check though yeah
0: yeah definitely something to keep in mind for movie watchers. So for this feather, the jay's coloring is predominantly blue, black, brown, and or white. when it comes to the bird's disposition, when you pick a fight with a jay, you pretty much never pick a fight with just one. They're bullies around the feeder, bullies around dinner time, mm. and so you see just like in school when Matilda sticks up for her father, just like Mrs. Wormwood and Mr. Wormwood kind of. Chittering and cawing back at one another, it's still all within the family. Bullies within, but also without. Let's see. Oh, yeah. And also, again, talking about Mr. Wormwood's personality to a T, the Jays let out a screaming call to let you know that they're nearby. And that sounds like Harry getting ready for breakfast time. Um, How about you, Will, take us away on some of the details on the feather color or the feathering?
1: Yeah, that definitely sounds like him, doesn't it? He squawks several times during these opening chapters.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So uh, so going, going to the feather to help you all visualize what we're talking about, we've posted a picture of what we think the likely feather might look like to our Twitter and Instagram pages so that you can visualize the glory of it. In the meantime, if you're listening to this podcast while driving or doing chores, uh, let's, you, let's paint you a picture with our words. Throughout Western Europe, England, and Ireland, wing feathers have a striking blue and black pattern in them. Based on that description, it sounds like the feather here would look rather pompous. It would have light yellowish, brown, blue, and black striping on one side, and then transition into a brown and white on the other. It would be a large feather, about one and a half to three inches long, but not quite as long as a tail feather. And just from that description, I mean, it's hard to kind of picture that on anybody's head, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's a loud it's a loud feather especially when you remember how obscenely colorful his checkered vests are. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's walking around with some colorful swagger.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and I don't know if it if it's maybe it's the right time to bring this up if any of our readers have read more adult books like american psycho brett easton ellis's descriptions in that book are super weird if you if you think about it oh god well yeah the, the, the business, business cards, cards definitely um but even the <laughs> even the, the descriptions of the clothes are are if you if you were to actually look up the clothes he describes they're just ridiculous <laughs> You know that's something that maybe our readers our younger readers could lo- look forward to or our old our older readers can think about so yeah going beyond just feathers here a j just a little bit of vocabulary might also mean uh, a simple or gullible person one who talks incessantly and might also be a reference to uh, an archaic deep south term from 1960s and previous which might be mean something similar to a fool or uh, other unfavorable ad adjectives.
0: Yep. So I mean what's what's interesting here and before we get into what feather in a hat means colloquially speaking, mm-hmm. what it seems like no matter what RD is trying to say, whether or not the wormwoods are smart or not, nah. they're all going to be calling loudly. And they all can be kind of bullish, particularly around around food. And I think that that's a really, really clever. Maybe we're going too deep or maybe this is exactly what he was intending all
1: along. And of course, the other thing that we also have to think about is, you know, Ronnie D is drawing from a long tradition of British fashion and ridiculing British fashion, too. So there's that element as well. And so, when you're thinking about hats, I mean, British people and British hats come to mind pretty readily. Um, and people and people have been wearing birds' feathers on hats for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, not just for decoration, though, and also not just in Britain. Absolutely. Um, but people thought that it a long time ago. It had more significance, perhaps, than it does today. Kind of like in paintings, where one one item might symbolize one thing and, and another entirely different that kind of symbolism uh, with a feather might have represented a person's standing their uh, success in life or in some even in some cases uh, a kill
0: right right and I think before we continue with the feathers that's a fascinating point because I wonder having just watched this amazing Jeff Goldblum documentary with respect to sneakers
1: oh I haven't seen that yet Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I I think that the hat thing being so particular and being particularly british that is spot on yeah. will you think even even us yankees care about what people are wearing to royal weddings whereas oh yeah in in america it almost seems to be an obsession with with bags maybe or definitely sneakers. Or shoes. Yeah, yeah. or shoes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But turning back to the feather in one's hat, mm-hmm. colloquial speaking, it was something that you were very happy about. It gave you kind of bragging rights. I remember in high school and in college, when I was being given help to write a resume, they would say, what are the feathers in your cap? It, it really meant, what did you do to warrant a f- a third party's interest in hiring you or welcoming you into their school. Beyond that, there are some cultures and certain peoples, even America, where feathers do symbolize something still. And although we can't get into this too deeply here, in indigenous peoples, for example, they give feathers to symbolize a brave act, trust, honor, strength, wisdom power and freedom and war bonnets um, which is arguably one of the most identifiable headdresses Mm -hmm. despite Mm -hmm. their prominence in American westerns I think predominantly right they were only worn by a dozen or so tribes in the Great Plains region
1: yeah and you know with with Roald Dahl potentially knowing more about uh, native americans from westerns than you know his his actual his education then these war bonnets that you refer to might have actually might have stuck out to him too
0: yeah yeah and of course the term is referenced in that old yankee doodle song i don't know if that's still a thing people yeah. use at all but that was something that i learned growing up did you
1: I, I did. I don't know what they teach these days because yeah. I, I feel like, I mean, my my son came fr- came home from school talking about sitting crisscross applesauce.
0: Yeah. No, I learned crisscrossing and applesaucing. Yeah.
1: You did? Oh, okay. So, see, I didn't. I, I still learned the very incorrect Indian style.
0: Oh, see, so... I mean, this is, this is, we're jumping off a little bit. I, but I wonder if this is one of those geographical things because mm-hmm. being in Pennsylvania, which some people consider Midwest and some people consider East, mm-hmm. I got both where I learned the improper sit Indian style. And then I also learned crisscross applesauce. So I, I heard it both ways
1: uh okay see i had never heard crisscross applesauce so but but regardless going back to yankee doodle yes yankee doodle is something that uh that i was still taught i don't know if it's taught now but definitely growing up in new england they they, they like teaching us that that stuff so yeah
0: yeah and we won't get into the full albeit quick song but um mm-hmm. doodle was a uh, slang for a stupid person that's what brits would call us and macaroni, when they say put a feather in your cap and call it macaroni, that was like you look all swanky and and pompous. And so it's interesting that Roald Dahl keeps referencing American soap operas and, and doing kind of almost American digs hidden in his very British book mm-hmm. because colonists like Harry Wormwood, even though he's in the good old UK, thought that they could look good simply by putting feathers in their cap but you got to earn it you can't just put a feather in there like he presumably did you have to earn the feather you have to earn your success and harry doesn't yeah and
1: there's a whole discussion that maybe we get into at a later date about like the 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 general the generationally wealthy and kind of the new rich um and you know i I don't know that that was what doll was referring to but I'm i'm pretty certain uh that that harry wormwood would have been uh pretty insecure about that so that's that's something to think about as well um, who, who?
0: She says in feigned shock. Harry Wormwood be offended? <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so going back to our f- feathers in our hats today. Now, the the term just ref- more commonly refers to any laudable success or achievement um, by. By an individual that may help that person in the future. I actually really like when you talked about it in context of your resume, right? Because it's kind of like it's what you want to present about yourself as being the feathers in your cap. Absolutely. Uh, and and yeah. Then to summarize, uh, what all these pieces mean together as a whole, you know, we see that Mr. Wormwood is a bit of a vain, uh, more than a bit of a vain, <laughs> pompous man, and so this idea of a feather in his hat really fits him. We've heard. Talk, talk about how jays often bully which fits this family and although interestingly jays are like you said highly intelligent although this trait did not seem to have been passed on to all of the wormwoods Returning now to Mr. Wormwood's no good, horrible day, we learn how he's forced to leave his hat on at work because it's stuck to his head.
0: And he didn't want to be scalped, so he kept the hat glued on his head the entire day, even when putting sawdust in gearboxes and fiddling with mileage of cars with his electric drill. So, I mean, the poor guy can't even commit crime in peace. Mm -hmm. And what's really flipping clever is R.D.'s subtle way of telling the reader how Harry is now forced to be uncomfortable with his own facade, with his own pompous hat. He can't get rid of it. It's now adhered to him.
1: Yeah, and his discomfort is so is so bad and so evident. Uh, and and Ronnie D describes uh, how he doubles down as follows. In an effort to save face, he adopted a casual attitude, hoping his staff would think that he actually meant to keep his hat on all day long, just for the heck of it, like gangsters do in the films. And again, here we see, you know, you, like you referenced earlier, that reference to American media or entertainment or culture.
0: Yep. Classic gangsters with their egos and hats. Am I right? I mean, he...
1: <laughs> right. Yep.
0: Here again, RD expressly ties Harry to his criminal activities, um, not hiding it at all for the reader now.
1: Yeah. And what, what, although. You know he he has a staff. He has he has people who report to him. So it's not just him in a garage fiddling with cars, so, which makes you wonder how much the staff is in on the deception as well. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I
0: mean, I I've watched enough. Um. Oh my goodness. This is so. What are they called? This is why it's embarrassing, because I can't remember what they're called. Fast and the Furious. I, oh, yeah, 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 I've watched enough Fast and Furious videos to believe beyond a shadow of Americanized doubt that uh-huh. I guess I would bet that he has his whole criminal enterprise crew with the chance of a government informant being stuck in there I mean, mm-hmm. wink, wink, nudge, nudge We won't digress too far into that potential spoiler But it's kind of very classic Fast and the Furious feeling to to his criminal enterprise mm-hmm. Although Vin Diesel and his crew, I think, were actually good bad guys I don't know, great characters, yeah, sure Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't know, maybe Gone in 60 Seconds I don't know, I don't remember that well
0: Maybe that's it, yeah, yeah Something with cars.
1: (laughs) And anyway, so he spends the entire day this way, Mr. Wormwood does. And once he finally makes it home, it becomes abundantly clear that this hat is not going anywhere. And that's despite or no matter how much Mrs. Wormwood yanks or pulls.
0: And Matilda is absolutely loving it. She's rather bemused by her father's suffering. Mm -hmm. And R.D. describes Matilda as, quote, Nestling in her usual chair, watching this performance over the rim of her book with some interest. I mean, <laughs> that's kind of icy. That's pretty Minerva Magallion, like assessing the situation coldly and calmly.
1: Oh, it's super icy. Yeah, maybe slightly sociopathic.
0: Yeah, it's slightly like, so you're just
1: mm-hmm.
0: just reading a little book there. It's kind of the, um, what was his name? Stewie and Family Guy. Yeah. Family Guy, just... Just reading your little book, Matilda, not Mm -hmm. worried about uh, your parents uh, getting personally maimed, no big deal. Um, (laughs) So for a second vocab moment, uh, Bohemian Geek City vocabulary, nestling is particularly interesting here as a word choice because it's both a noun and a verb. For a noun, it refers to a bird that's too young to leave its nest, which is ding, 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 Matilda to a T. And then verb, nestling means to settle or lie comfortably within or against something. And that's Matilda. And she is nestling ever so comfortably in her father's distress.
1: Yeah, it's not just the chair, her usual chair. It's it's very comfortable in her father's distress and discomfort.
0: And since you're a parent here, Will, I'm going to have you read Matilda's words to her father. And I just... Just pretend for us that it's Charlie saying these things.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm going to channel. I'm totally going to channel. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, now that he's four, it's... This stuff totally happens. It creeps into it. I mean, I haven't gotten a hat stuck to my head. But maybe one of these days if I'm not careful. (laughs) In any case, so Matilda goes, What's the matter, Daddy? She said, Has your head suddenly swollen or something? Now, she's essentially asking Mr. Wormwood if his ego is... Overinflated, and of course, uh, this naturally raises Mister Wormwood's suspicion. But he doesn't say anything, probably because he doesn't think that his daughter is smart enough to know that a swollen head is uh, a sign of an over overinflated ego, or or as a reference to it. Interestingly, in the text here, the word "daddy" isn't capitalized, so it's you wonder if it's a sign that Matilda's uh, a sign of Matilda's disrespect. Yeah, Um, but. Yeah, it may well be.
0: Yeah. And you can almost, almost sympathize with Harry here as as the father and as someone who, Mm -hmm. in a very bad way, from a moral standpoint and from a legal standpoint, bad way to provide for his family. But here we see Matilda, his wife and the narrator dig into him hard for his lack of intelligence at a time when mm-hmm. he's probably feeling the most weak and the most violated since his hair yep. and his hat were such, such I don't know, things that he truly valued about himself. And as you point out, he's very self-conscious.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of a, a point about Ronnie D as well, uh, who was also super self-conscious about his hair.
0: Ah, interesting.
1: He's definitely projecting a little here, right? He He's projecting, yeah, he's totally projecting in these early chapters where terrible, terrible things happen to uh, Mr. Wormwood's hair because he he went, from what I've read, he went bald relatively early and he was always super self-conscious about it. And so this is, this is like him saying what his deepest fears are, I think.
0: Wow, snaps to that. Yeah. So, so in the text, we have, quote, The father glared at Matilda with deep suspicion, but said nothing. How could he? I mean, on the one hand, how could he? Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I mean, I grew up with a little sister. I grew up with family. There's something in your gut that goes, how could he not? Yeah, like, of course, you know. Of course, you know in your heart of hearts what has happened here. Yeah.
1: But, of, of course, he, he can't bring himself to admit it or to confront her. And kind of like you said earlier, everyone's, everyone's digging into Harry Wormwood now, right? Uh, Mrs. Wormwood said, that'll teach you, referring to her husband, to go playing around with nasty stuff like this. I expect you were trying to stick another feather in your hat. And again, that, that feather in your hat is is literal and figurative, and, and Mrs. Wormwood is you know basically saying, oh you, you you silly guy, like what's you know it's it's literal and it's figurative, right?
0: Absolutely. I mean, it points out that Harry is probably very obsessive mm, mm-hmm. with trying to collect accolades, which he does not deserve.
1: Thank you. That's that's what yep, I was going yep. for. Exactly. Yeah, and then and then Mrs. Wormwood then goes on to chastise him for not reading like the silly person that he is, the label of the superglue, which is such a dig at her husband's intelligence, but also illustrates a really tragic lesson to Matilda, who's sitting there watching all of this, and therefore to us, that lying uh, can work because she's apparently going to get away with all of this.
0: Yep, absolutely. She has now turned her own mother into her accomplice. Mm -hmm. And while Harry kind of knows it, Matilda, it looks like, is getting off scot-free. But when Mrs. Wormwood starts getting involved and starts heckling Mr. Wormwood, that's when Harry really starts to snap. Not surprised, pretty much. But with the language that's used, this is where our Harry Potter senses starts tingling again with anticipation because Harry Wormwood yells at his wife, what in heaven's name are you talking about, you stupid witch? Mr. Wormwood shouted, clutching the brim of his hat to stop anyone trying to pull it off. Now, we'll get into the witch wizard Harry Potter parallels in subsequent episodes, we just keep. Dipping our little toesies in it because we can't help ourselves. Mm -hmm. But this right here is the very first expressed and unequivocal mention of magic potentially running in the family, which is incredibly exciting to consider. But at least expansive viewpoint, at least seems to imply that magic does exist in the world, at least in the same sense that it it exists in here, Mm -hmm.
1: if not more so if our if our listeners are potential skeptics on this it's i think helpful to remind them that roldal's other books contain a healthy healthy dose of the fantastic uh the you know the witches there's a book literally entitled the witches right but all of them are are fantastic and zany and crazy and have plenty of magic and so it's not a far cry you know to 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 jump from uh matilda to to harry potter so which is really cool to think about
0: yep yep
1: um and you know just as important going back to mr wormwood we've talked about how his wife talks to him how matilda talks to him how how the reader views him there's we have to think about the effect that this kind of shame and bruised ego must have on 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 a person not just mr wormwood Uh, mr wormwood himself refuses to learn any sort of common sense or listen to loved one his loved ones and in that quote you read earlier he clutches a super glued hat onto his head so now you know definitely he's not going anywhere and he's digging in deep and maybe not everybody is going to react that way but he certainly does he's he, he reacts that way and uh mrs wormwood uh reacts that way too just as we uh we see mr wormwood do this mrs wormwood on the very next page of the book Um, we learn about matilda's likely inspiration for this trick uh being her friend down the street getting his finger stuck up his nose for a week when he was trying to pick it pick his nose and there was super glue uh, on his finger
0: classic coming of age story i tell you what just classic
1: yep i mean it's not you're not you're not a grown-up unless you've had your finger stuck up your nose for a week (laughs) right so everybody go do it (laughs) yeah
0: Now, humans have a natural uh, uh, aversion against looking foolish and sometimes being unable to to seek help Mm -hmm. on things when they're being blinded by their own shame. I know I've definitely had that issue. And Mr. Wormwood had to keep his hat on all through dinner in front of the television. Mm -hmm. And as Ronnie D says... Quote, he looked ridiculous and stayed very silent. This is a shame-filled man.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. And you have to imagine that he's just sitting there stewing, right? Because he's got this literal symbol of his own silliness stuck to his head and it's not going anywhere. I want to go back.
0: I'm excited. (laughs)
1: yeah no this is good but yeah with mrs wormwood we see the same kind of shame we see the same kind of behavior and you know she and mr wormwood are kind of two peas in a pod when matilda tells mrs wormwood about her friend getting a finger stuck up his nose uh mrs wormwood said oh that well that was your friend's fault saying he shouldn't have put his finger up there in the first place it's a nasty habit if all children had super glue put on their fingers they'd soon stop doing it and matilda reacts of course by saying Grown-ups do it too, mummy. I saw you doing it yesterday in the kitchen. And Mrs. Wormwood, caught red-handed, says, That's quite enough from you, turning pink. Um, And of course, so here... Uh, we see the same kind of shame, the same kind of bruised ego. She knows her daughter is right, but she can't bring herself to to acknowledge it. And so she gaslights her own daughter. Instead of using it as a good teaching moment, like maybe maybe somebody, uh, maybe other people would.
0: Yep. I I really wanted you to say caught booger-handed because <laughs> I'm not mature. Caught
1: booger-handed. <laughs> I am
0: not mature at all. I like that, though. Yeah. Okay, perfect, perfect, okay. perfect. Yeah. Anything else we need to say on that topic?
1: Yeah, no, I think we can move on back to silly Mr. Wormwood sitting there with his silly hat on his head. Cool. And, and here, yeah, like you said, he's, he's sitting his hat on through supper, all through television, and now we see here for the first and... But not the last time that the Wormwoods definitely don't have that happy, solid marriage that Mr. Wormwood wants, along with picket fence, two-story house, you know, two kids, and all that good stuff. Mrs. Wormwood, it's very evident, is not attracted to her husband at all. the The, the quote from the book is, and later on, as she watched her skinny little husband skulking around the bedroom in his purple-striped pajamas with a pork pie on his head, she thought how stupid he looked. <laughs> hardly the kind of man a wife dreams about she told herself oh. <laughs> and and i mean hey i feel his pain here too because this is told from her point of view right she's watching him move around and it's he's skinny he's little he's skulking like come on and and that's that's her opinion of her own husband and she thinks he looks stupid and it's not the—he's not the kind of man that a wife dreams about. She says, "I'm not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. I've read a little bit about this kind of stuff, but in a, in relationships, when there's disdain, that's kind of it. You know, that's like the first sign that it's not going going anyplace good."
0: Yeah, definitely. The adjectives you hear in—I think what actually might be maybe the only time we hear just in Mrs. Wormwood's voice
1: maybe at least for this amount of time yeah
0: yeah certainly these are not adjectives you want listed on your match.com profile pic Mm-mm. like not at all no
1: no i i don't know uh, was it this is it swipe left or, or right i don't know how tinder <laughs> works but it's one of the it's the it's the bad one e- yeah
0: either way she's not yeah she's not <laughs> um and so to us this kind of language we keep we keep hinting at this because we we keep holding out uh-huh. to get more clues on Mrs. Wormwood. But this kind of language further inflames our suspicions of her extramarital bingo that we plan mm-hmm. on diving into deeper. Maybe as early as next episode, but we'll see. Regardless, it just does not feel good if your partner does not find you to be attractive. So i I feel for him i i don't I don't like him, but I feel for him
1: no, and it's good that we feel sympathy for even even the villains right it's 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 kind of i I definitely think that it's it's one of the it's a redeeming factor in your reader if you can feel that way
0: absolutely will tell us what happens to Mr. Wormwood that almost makes us sympathize even more with this. Terrible, terrible man.
1: Yeah, the the hits never stop coming. You know, he he sleeps in this. He sleeps in this silly hat, which can't be comfortable. He's. I think in the picture in the book, he's actually sitting up in bed. I imagine because maybe he can't really lie down but the next morning the hat's not any looser so mrs wormwood has to actually cut away the hat piece by piece and the way the book the book describes it is that his hair now looked monkish and chunks of the hat remained adhered to his skin
0: Ugh, so so gross becoming more emasculated with each and every snip of those scissors his gorgeous locks that were his pride and joy now surround him in clumps. Matilda deals her father's ego, not that he has much left to take punches, one final blow suggesting to him at breakfast that he must try to get the remaining bits of his hat that are still adhered to his head off of him because they look like bugs crawling all over him matilda jeez louise his head appears to be infected and it's his daughter's doing matilda
1: yeah it's i mean it's not just we're not ta- talking about i mean the obvious illusion is that he's got like lice on his head or something like that right but they're they're visible he's got like these big chunks of whatever stuck to his head and you know that's really the last straw for mr wormwood finally even though he he's had all these signs this is her doing but he hasn't spoken until now finally he snaps at her be quiet um, and tells her to keep her nasty mouth shut which uh, like we kind of we've said before it can't be the first time he's said this and must be a common refrain in the Wormwood household which is so terrible
0: absolutely the chapter closes stating um stating that matilda's act of chemical warfare was quote all in all a most satisfactory exercise but it was surely too much to hope it had taught the father a permanent lesson but here is where we get at the heart of the error of the ego theme is matilda actually trying to teach her parents a lesson or does she not realize how much of her parents own behavioral lessons she has adopted and is utilizing against them is her own ego, like her parents' egos, blinding her to the actual ramifications of her actions and words?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Because, like we said at the very beginning of this episode, she just wakes up and, and launches herself into action, right? She's thought about this, but maybe she hasn't. Either maybe she hasn't thought about it to the fullest extent, or this is su- such ingrained behavior to lash out that it's it's learned from her parents and maybe she's not recognizing this a quick fact check big thanks to our friend daniel for helping us with this at this point in the book matilda is likely not uh not quite five and a half years old in chapter one uh she was about four when she really wanted to read and in later in the book in chapter seven we learn that she starts school late uh at about five and a half because her parents really didn't care about making sure their daughter got a proper education, and so enrolled her late.
0: Lovely. (laughs) Let's also recognize that she has the learning capacity seemingly well beyond her age, but her age is so, so young. She's a tiny, young little girl.
1: Yeah, and so even though she's she's smart beyond her years, but at the same time, like we've been saying, uh, she has quite a few years of this treatment from her parents to kind of influence her upbringing as well and to that the only lesson that she seems to be willing to teach her parents is one of vengeance she's not really interested in helping her parents improve as human beings she doesn't she doesn't confess to her parents certainly what actually happens so the idea that her parents would have learned or should have learned anything from this is is maybe wishful thinking on her part
0: yep absolutely and i was thinking about this will as we were preparing for this episode in light of our deep dive on michael yeah Last episode, yeah. Matilda, her father, and her mother seem to lack emotional intelligence. Yeah, Michael, however, seems to have emotional intelligence. So that was something that I hadn't ever really learned about growing up—emotional intelligence. But that's
1: yeah, like EQ, IQ. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think the the EQ of the Wormwoods has some room for improvement. Mm-hmm. For Matilda, she doesn't confess ever, ever book ending spoiler to what actually happened. So it does seem bizarre to suggest that her parents would have or should have learned anything. But it's our expectation as parents that that you are able to adapt and improvise and and quote unquote raise your kids perfectly and right Mm -hmm. but as one of my favorite and I think our favorite shows Rick and Morty which is Too old for some of our listeners. As that show aptly said, one of the main protagonists, Morty, said, parents are kids just having kids. And yes, I don't want to go that far. I'm not that emotionally intelligent to give the Wormwoods that much of a benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. But as we keep returning and looking at these characters, I think one of our intents is for us to understand what if this is how... The wormwoods themselves were raised, and how can we do something to be better instead of just pointing right. fingers of blame?
1: Right. How much are they just passing on? You know, the sins of the father or the sins of the mother, if you want to use that phrase. Right. Yep. Kind of like you said with the Rick and Morty quote: "Parents are just kids having kids." We'll we'll probably we can probably talk about that with with a lot of other characters in you know in in this book and others in terms of how they got to the point that they that they are whether heroic or villainous or whatever.
0: Yep. Do you think now's the time to maybe move on to thoughts to think on will?
1: Sure. Sure. That sounds great. In today's episode, we focused on the errors of the ego. And if we haven't credited her yet, a tip to our reader, Connie, for suggesting that theme to us. It's absolutely perfect for this chapter because we see that it's it's his ego that makes Mr. Wormwood wear this hat in the first place. It's his ego that makes Mr. Wormwood think that he deserves uh, a feather in his cap, any feathers Uh, at all, let alone many, for committing crimes uh, and swindling people, and it's ego that makes him want to save face in front of his family and criminal crew um, and double down on not taking his hat off, um, despite how uncomfortable and unhappy it made him. Uh similarly it's not just Mr. Wormwood who has an ego. Matilda is certainly building up her own ego when looking down at her father from the rim of her book and thinking that she can teach him a lesson through physical violence delivered in a mean, veiled and uh and underhanded method. And and finally Mrs. Wormwood's ego is also at play here when she, when Matilda calls her out for picking her nose and kind of like we discussed earlier in the relationship between Mrs. Wormwood and Mr. Wormwood, we get the sense that Mrs. Wormwood thinks that she deserves a better husband, in which we see that she is very disdainful of her own husband and his physical appearance. In fact, like you mentioned earlier, the only mention excuse me, the only family member in the household we don't see engaged in this to- toxic behavior due to an overinflated ego is is the often forgotten son Michael who may well indeed have the highest emotional quotient or emotional intelligence of the household.
0: Absolutely. So for this episode's thoughts to think on in light of the errors of the ego that we went through, we have two thoughts to think on here. The first is the different ways we condemn and praise characters or frankly People are in our own lives that we either know or mm-hmm. we see on in newspapers, in television, etc. Mm-hmm. How we condemn and praise those characters for those egos. For example, we see Ronnie D condemning criminal activity by the father time and time again, while at the same time his daughter commits chemical warfare on the regular. Spoiler alert, more is coming. And the author here seemingly praises her for it as part of her quote-unquote growing up and finding her own voice. It's almost as if... Walter White? No, not Walter White. Oh my goodness. Uh, Batman. Who's his helper? The servant. I'm so embarrassed. Alfred? Alfred? Alfred. It's okay. It's almost as if if we applied this in the Batman universe, it's almost uh-huh. as if Alfred is going to the young Joker and going, You know what, Joker, you don't have enough on your plate. Let's let's continue to praise you. All of this stuff that you're doing, acting out, Matilda Joker, this is actually you quote unquote <laughs>
1: Joker. Growing
0: up and finding your own voice. That's I mean, it's extreme, but what? Just because she's a tiny little girl, we're going to give her a pass? I don't know. Where does right, right. where does the line get drawn? Where does Matilda and other characters who go from fighting fire with fire to full-on Dracarys, Daenerys, Stormborn, first of her name?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it may well be two sides of the same coin, right?
0: Absolutely. And we have to wonder, could the cycle have been broken, but for people like, spoiler alert, thankfully, Miss Honey and others later on, but for these noble teachers, Mm -hmm. but for those people that we hopefully have in our lives, would we still want Matilda to be the first character of the first book we go through?
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that returns us to the first chapter about teachers and and influences um, on our lives. You know, sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's teachers, librarians, whatever. But, you know, it's I I think I want to say that Matilda celebrated its what 30th year. In, in publication last year and there were all these people talking about you know what could Matilda be doing today like what could her profession be? what could she be up to? I didn't see this anywhere, but certainly it would have been worth pointing out if it wasn't for Miss Honey or some of these better influences. We might be looking at this kind of like Daenerys Targaryen kind of situation. Absolutely.
0: Or Green Goblin scientist gone amuck. He mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. thank you mentors, teachers, and librarians and parents once again for for raising for raising kids and for hopefully being good role models for young right. Matildas. And one of our readers had also pointed out that there was a lovely comic strip kind of of a young boy who had very much admired Matilda Mm -hmm. and how unfortunately for him, his teacher had frankly ridiculed him, I think it was, and said, that's a girl. You don't want to have a girl superhero. And I think it's really boss having role models and superheroes and protagonists or even, I mean... Let's face it. I've seen some cute little girls who visit Disney and bow to Darth Vader. It's really exciting to be alive at a time where gender norms are being deconstructed as part of a reconstruction. So to all of our males out there, if you love Matilda, lean into it hard. She's a boss.
1: Yep. More power to you.
0: So I think this will end us on our second thought to think on... Can you think of a time in your life, and we certainly hope so, that perhaps even yourself, you've seen someone's refusal to let go of their ego, your ego, in a kind of sticky, icky, ooey gooey situation? I know... I've done it for this podcast. I had to let go of what I thought was a really cool theme for this episode mm-hmm. until Connie said, maybe you want to rephrase it. And she was so spot on that what we were getting at for this episode wasn't our proposed theme of ignorance is bliss. I mean, it it sounds ironic at this point to have chosen a different theme when it's clearly the errors of the ego for this episode. And so I wanted to show... Even people who are teachers like we're hoping to serve for some of you or at least vessels through a book exploration. We're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to make mistakes. That's when real magic happens. If you want to do something that defies the odds, that means Mm -hmm. you got to learn what the odds are first and then break them.
1: Yep, absolutely. And so maybe it's, it's not just kind of like we talked about seeing somebody's refusal to let go of their ego, lead them into a sticky uh, situation. But we should think about when, what are some good things that happen when people do let go? Yep. I'm, I'm certainly thankful, very, very thankful to Connie for her uh, suggestion of the theme because I think it really brought this, uh, brought the ideas in this chapter together. Um, but thinking more largely, you know, about what what good things have happened when people have acknowledged mistakes and learned from them and not and not let their ego command their response to a situation it's definitely something to think about absolutely and so with that thank you uh dear listener for tuning in to our third episode thanks to our reviewers connie daniel and danny and our sound expert alex for helping us obtain our our sound goals uh this podcast bohemian geek studies is now on apple spotify stitcher and other platforms so please by all means uh please tell your book loving buddies to come and join the party with or without a a feather in their hat
0: Absolutely. What's up, folks, and keep those pages turning. Yep. Do you think now's the time to maybe move on to thoughts to think on, Will?
1: Sure. Sure. That sounds great
0: do you want to cue up the intro for that or like yeah (laughs) say i don't know i i don't (laughs) i never know how to like start the transition so i guess i
1: I guess we just jump in pause and just jump in yeah
0: yeah right okay okay Okay, cool we're just jumping in and in today's episode episode, we focused wait you go first